right, all right. Get your Bibles out and let's open them up. Uh, we are in our series called Enter. We're talking about worship. And uh, so open up your Bible to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that's where we're going to be uh, today. And uh, what we're talking about today is the power of praise. The power of praise. And uh, so we're just going to jump right into God's Word. We've got a lot uh, for God to share with us in our hearts, so we're going to jump right on into it. Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning of verse 1. This is the Word of God. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Now stop right there. You may read that and go, I don't even understand any of that. All right, what, what, what does that mean? All right, so let me kind of set the context here for this story, this true story, this true event that happened in the life of Israel. Uh, this happens during the time when the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, one kingdom to the north, and a kingdom to the south. The kingdom to the north was called Israel, the kingdom to the south was called Judah. And Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And by all respects, he was a good king. He was a beloved king, he was a wise leader, he loved the Lord, he walked with God, he tried to do the right thing. He wasn't perfect, but he was like us. He was trying to do the right thing. In fact, in chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles, it says, uh, quote, his heart was courageous in the things of the Lord. So he was courageous, and he tried to do the right thing. And God had given him peace with all the neighboring nations around him. However, when he get to chapter 20, all that's changed. The peace that he enjoyed with all the other nations is gone. It's evaporated. It's vanished. And now war is in the air. And these different uh, nations that lived on the east side, on the other side of the Dead Sea, in the region of Moab, these nations, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites, uh, they gathered together and conspired together to attack Judah. Now, by the way, when they come together to attack, they're not just coming to take their stuff. They're not just coming to uh, you know, harass them. They're coming to annihilate them. They're coming to take them out. And so a word gets to Jehoshaphat that, hey, this, this massive army, not just one, I mean, by, fighting one would be hard enough, but three against one, there's absolutely no way. I don't know what the odds were, maybe a hundred to one, maybe a thousand to one, I don't know, but a massive army is coming, and they're not just talking about it, they're on the move. They've already moved on the other side of the Dead Sea, they're now in Engedi, which is actually a place you can visit today, at the foothills of mountain. They're about a two-day hike up to Jerusalem, they are knocking on your door. And panic ensues. You know, the people in Hawaii probably figured out what panic felt like uh, this last week, right? When a message went out on everybody's uh, phone that looked something like this one. It basically said uh, a ballistic missile is headed your direction. And for about 30 minutes, uh, thank the Lord that was not accurate, that it was a false alarm. But uh, during that 30 minutes, there was people panicking. I mean, people were going in basements of hotels and hospitals. People were huddling up with their families in bathrooms. I mean, because they understood if that message is right, we got no hope of survival. Zero hope of survival. 
And I think that's what was happening here. They realized they got this message. It didn't come on their cell phone, right? But they got the message that this massive army was coming, and they had absolutely no hope. They were, they were over their head. They were, they were, it was an impossible situation. An impossible situation. Now, taking a step back, let me just say that, you know, you and I face at times impossible situations. We face damaging messages, threats that come against us. And I talk to many people and they'll say things like this, Craig, you know, there's just no way that this is ever going to work out. There's no way that, that I'm going to get free from this addiction. There's no way that my marriage is really going to ever be restored. There's no way that, I'm, that I'm, I'm going to be able to make it financially through this thing. There's no way that we're ever going to get healed from this thing. It just seems to be going on and on. There's no way I'm going to ever get past this depression. This is how I'm going to be the rest of my life. And the enemy just attacks and attacks and attacks and tells you how you're defeated and there's no way it's going to work out. And, and you might as well not even go on living and whatever the case may be it's no way it's no way it's no way that's the situation that Jehoshaphat uh, found himself you know some people will tell say uh, I've heard people say it you know well you know the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle all right ever heard that uh, ever said that don't don't reply but uh, some of you have actually said that uh, would it surprise you if I told you that's not in the Bible it's not in the Bible. It's one of those myths that we say that's in the Bible that's really not. Actually, it's kind of a twist off of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation sees you except what's common, man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out. So basically what he's saying is, you're never going to get tempted beyond what you can bear because God always provides an exit right? That's what the verse means. But to say that you will never have a crisis beyond what you can bear is simply not true. We will always find problems that are beyond what we can bear. And if you haven't yet, you're, you got it coming, right? Because there's all, I mean, look at every person in the Bible. They face an overwhelming problem that they could not handle. So how do you face those problems that are over your head that you cannot handle, that you cannot control, that you don't think are ever gonna work out. How do you handle that? That's what we're talking about today. And some of you may be in it right now. You feel attacked from the enemy. You, you felt this week, man, a, an assault on your heart, an assault on your faith. Uh, a, a feeling of overwhelming, foreboding discouragement that things will never get better. Uh, it's time to do battle. And we're gonna talk about that today. Three things I wanna give you today, all right? Uh, and I want you to write this down, paper out, pen out, Bible open, heart open. I want you to write, by the way, I want you to write these things down because I want you to reflect on them during the week. I want you to let God speak to you about them during the week. That's why we take notes, all right, as we, work, we write these things down. So here's the first thing I want you to do. Write this down. Uh, when I face a problem that is beyond what I can bear, the first thing I need to do is to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord. Look at uh, what Jehoshaphat does. Look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Three times. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. See that? Three times. The first thing Jehoshaphat did was he said, man, we got to seek the Lord. Man, we got we to gotta go to God with this. Uh, first thing he did not do was have a planning meeting. He didn't have a strategy meeting. He said, well, man, we've got to get our minds around this thing. What are our options? What's our survival rate? What's our escape route? Uh, what's, what, you know, how are we going to fight this thing? 
He didn't do any of that. He said, the only hope that we have is to seek God in this situation. And he called the whole nation of Judah to gather up in the mountain on, at the temple to seek God and his favor. Now listen, the application is very clear. The first thing you have to do when, that, when enemy comes howling at you, when problems come, you must seek the Lord. To seek God for his direction and his protection and his intervention in your circumstance. And Jehoshaphat begins to cry out to God. Look at his prayer. Starts in verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. They were there in the temple. And he said, verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms and, all, and of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. I just love that. He starts talking about God's power. In fact, right out beside verse 6, right, just right in your Bible, God's power. God's power. He started off call, calling on God's power. He said, God, are you not God? And, and are you not uh, over all the nations and is not in your hand power? And that no one, not even this group over here, can possibly stand against you. The very first thing he starts to do is just remind himself and to remind those who are hearing and to call on the power of God. God's bigger than your problem. God's bigger than your crisis. He's, he's able to respond and intervene. Do you believe that? I'll say that one more time. Do you believe that? Uh, that's, that's who he is. God's power. Then look for that. He, he goes on to speak about something else. Verse 7, did you not, uh, our Father, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary uh, for your name, saying if disaster comes upon us, a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, uh, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Right out beside those verses, God's faithfulness. Not only God's power, but now God's faithfulness. God, did you not bring us here? And God, did you not carve out the boundaries of this nation? Did you not put us here? And God, did you not tell us to build a temple? And God, you told us that if we're ever in trouble to gather in this place and cry out and you will respond? God, you've always been faithful. God, you've always provided. God, you've always stood our ground for us and fought for us. God's faithfulness. Listen, when, you're in, when your back is against the wall, when the enemy comes in and you've got an overwhelming situation, you cry out to God in his power. You remind yourself of God's faithfulness. God, you, you've been faithful in the past. You'll be faithful right now. But then look at this last thing. Look at what else he prays, verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, give, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Right out beside those words, God's help. 
I mean, he begins to cry out. He says, God, you know, your power is great. And, and God, you've been so good in the past. But Lord, here we are. And Lord, you see this horde of nations that coming in, this massive multitude. There's no way that we could ever fight against them. But God, we don't know what to do. Lord, our eyes are on you. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. How do you respond when trouble comes to you? Do you, uh, you push back from God or do you press into him? Do you shake your fist at God or do you lift your hand in prayer? Do you, uh, do you get angry? Or do you get more hungry for God to move? Do you wring your hands in, in worry? Or do you, do you clasp a hold of God's truth? It's coming to every one of us. And listen, when, when we hit an overwhelming situation, when you come against an impossible situation that is out of your control, first thing you gotta do is you gotta seek the Lord. You've got to draw close to him. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in due time. I love the fact that Jehoshaphat comes here and he's praying and he says, God, I don't know what to do. God, I've got no plan B. And if you don't show up, we are done. God, our eyes are on you. And by the way, he's not praying this in his prayer closet where nobody can hear it. He's praying this in front of everybody. He's like, everybody know our only hope is in the Lord. You're facing a crisis, first thing you gotta do is say, Lord, I, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to say. But Lord, my eyes are on you and I'm trusting you and I got no plan B, but only you. Seek the Lord. Hey, seek the Lord. Craig, I know that. No, seek the Lord. Second thing I want you to jot down is this. Stand on his promises. Stand on God's promises. Look at verse 13. We're just kind of working our way through it. It says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benani, the son of Jehiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now stop right there for just a minute. Get the picture. They're all at the temple, right? And, and, and Jose, uh, uh, Jehoshaphat is crying out to God. And he said, Lord, we don't know what to do. And they're crying out to God. And in that moment, God begins to move in the heart of a prophet. All right? This Jahaziel, this prophet. And by the way, it gives us like his dad, his granddad, his great-granddad. It gives his list to show that he is in a line of prophets. He was the one to give the word from God in that moment. And in that moment, he stands up and he begins to speak. And God begins to speak through this prophet a word to the nation and to the king. And twice he says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. 
Twice he says that. And in between those two, he gives a reason why they're not to be dismayed. And the reason why they're not to be afraid. And this is what he says, verse 15. For the battle is not yours but God's. In verse 17, he says, and the Lord will be with you. It's like, listen, Joseph, you're not going to fix this thing. You're not going to fix this. This is beyond you. It's beyond your capacity. It's beyond your ability. You can't lead out of it. You can't fake your way through it. You can't escape this. This is beyond your control to fix. But it's not beyond God's control. It is beyond your ability to fight, but it is not beyond God's ability to fight for you. Now, I want you to listen to me. Because some of you, you really need to hear this today. See, we're, we're so good at when a problem comes, we go, well, I can fix that. If I could get so-and-so to fix that, if I could go over here and, and I could arrange this situation, if, if I could get him to just see my view and then come over here and talk to her, and we could just, we could fix this thing. We could fix it. We can fix it. And listen, sometimes we never get to God's so- solution because we're still messing with it. And sometimes it's, we just have to push back and say, God, uh, this is beyond my control. I don't have enough connections to fix this. I don't have the wisdom to fix this. I don't have the ability to change this situation, God. God, I just need you to move. And, and I'm going to push this over to you. Can you do that? Can you trust God to change the heart of your spouse? Or can you change God to redeem that wayward child? Can you trust God with your job? Can you trust him with your fearfulness and, or your loneliness? Can you trust God with the thing that you're wrestling with? He said, this is beyond you. Jehoshaphat, but it is not beyond God. God will fight for you. He is taking this very personally. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you are, and God will fight for you. And you may be thinking, well, Craig, that'd be great. I wish that I knew that that was true. I would love to receive that from God, but but how do I know? How do I know that God's going to fix this? How do I know that God's going to intervene? How do I know? And I'm really glad you asked because we're going to keep reading and find the answer, all right? The answers are in the Bible. All right, verse 16. He says, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up through the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Circle these words. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow... Go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Now here's how you know. How do I know that God is going to fight this battle for me? How do I know that God's going to, here, here it is. God's going to give you a promise. God's going to give you a promise. That's what's happened here. God spoke through his prophet and he said, hey, God's going to fight this battle. And he goes on to say, now here's what you need to do. You need to go to this place. You need to go down this ravine. You need to stand right here and you need to do nothing else. But watch God work. God gave him a specific promise for that specific problem. Now listen, here's what I know. Having walked with God for some time now, 
when I'm in that desperate situation and only God can change the heart of that person, only God can fix, or only God can give me wisdom in this, and I cry out to the Lord and I seek the Lord and I seek the Lord, I ask God, God, you gotta speak to me, God. You gotta give me something, God. You gotta give me a promise to stand on. God, you gotta do something, you gotta say something, God. And I will pour out my heart and I will wet the pages of this Bible with my tears and I will wait until God speaks. I mean, there have been days I say, man, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray until God gives me something to stand on. And listen, every time I have done that, God has been faithful to do it. And he will be faithful to you to stand on God's promises. And God gave a promise that day. You're going to go here. You're going to do this. And watch what I do. And if you don't believe it, just watch. Just watch what I do. How many times we, we miss the victory that God wants us to have because we're too busy trying to fix it ourselves and not asking God for a promise to stand on. We've got to stand on those promises. We've got to put our feet on those promises. We've got to be like a warrior that digs our cleats in the dirt of God's promises and God's faithfulness and say, this is what God has said and I'm standing on this until I go home. That's how winning is done in the spiritual realm. That's how you fight spiritual battles, standing on God's promise that he's spoken through his word uh, for you. Are you doing that? I'm reminded what Ephesians 6 says, uh, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the authorities of this dark world and the spiritual forces in heavenly places. Therefore, put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can take your stand. What do you stand on? You stand on God's promises. So you're facing an incredible situation. and You don't know how this is going to work. Uh, here's what you do. You seek the Lord and you ask God to intervene and you ask God to speak to you until, and you keep seeking until he gives you a promise to stand on and then you write it down and you quote it and you shout it out and you put your feet on those promises and you take your stand because that's how you're going to stand against the onslaught of this attack from the enemy. Stand on his promises. And then here's the third thing. You say, Craig, you know, we're on a series on worship, and you haven't said anything about that. Are you confused? Uh, No. Here's the last point. This is just for you. Sing. All right? Sing out your praise. Sing out your praise. I love this. I love this. Verse 18. Check this out. And and when Jehoshaphat bowed his head... uh, uh, and when Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and of the Korahites, try to read those three times fast, all right, uh, stood up to praise the Lord the God with a very loud voice. Okay, so what's happening here? So here they are, they're praying, they're, they're asking God to move. God, we need you, we don't want to do. And then God raises up this prophet and says, go out tomorrow, here's the promise, stand on the promise. And when they hear that, they just fall to the ground. Uh, can you imagine just a sea of people falling to the ground? They're face down, they're going, oh God, you spoke in God, you've given us a promise, God. And then everyone goes to the ground except this tribe of men. I love this. And these men stand up and they draw a big lung full of air and they start to sing. 
and they say, God, your love endures forever. God, your love endures forever. And they start to sing out their worship and sing out their praise. And the people that are on their face, they start hearing the, the praise of God and, and they start standing up too. And they start singing and others and more and more and more and more till finally the whole nation, if you can imagine, is singing praise to God. Now, now listen, uh, that's what I would call worship off the chain, all right? I mean, that is, that is not anybody yawning in this worship service. I mean, they got it going on because God has spoken and all they could do is respond in worship. Listen, the worship doesn't just stop at the church house. Uh, keep reading. Uh, it floods out into the street. Uh, verse 20, it says, And they rose the next morning, and they went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear uh, me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when they had taken counsel with the people and appointed those uh, who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in the holy attire as they went before the army, they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. They began to gather together and they started marching out the next morning. By the way, that's great faith. You know what faith is? Faith is not crossing your finger. Man, you just got to have faith. It's going to work out. No, that's not what faith is. Faith is, is taking your stand on God's promises and moving forward. Believing what God said and moving forward. That's what faith is. And there were some people that were afraid. I mean, it's not, it's not wrong to be afraid. All right? We're people, right? And it's not wrong. It doesn't mean you don't have faith if you're afraid. It just means that you, you're afraid and yet you take God at his word and you move forward. And you trust God that he will do what he's promised he will do. And I love what Jehoshaphat did. I mean, he's, I picture him, it doesn't say this in the Bible, so this is my own imagination. I, I picture him riding on his horse, kind of a brave heart kind of thing, riding up and down the lines of the people. And he's just shouting at them as, as they're going. And he's saying, uh, believe the Lord and he will establish you. Believe his prophets and he'll go before you. I mean, he's just shouting it out. He's encouraging the people. Trust God. Keep moving. Trust God. What a great leader. Well, we need to hear that, don't we? Sometimes we just got to trust God to keep moving forward. Janet was a young mother when her husband left her. And she was utterly devastated. Why did this happen? How could she possibly move forward? She was so overcome with grief and discouragement that it was hard for her to even get out of bed. But she had a godly mother that loved God. And she said, my mother would come in my room and pray for me. And she said, I'll never forget my mom coming in and she put her hands on me. And she said, Janet, hold on to God. Janet, hold on to God. Janet, hold on to God. She said, I'll never forget that. Well, she, Janet learned to just get up the next day and keep moving forward and trust God. And God brought a, a godly man into her life. And uh, they married quickly. And he became the love of her life for over 30 years. And they had more children. And God was good. And God blessed them. Two weeks ago, uh, Janet lost her husband to a weird set of circumstances uh, that he passed away. 
And uh, Liz and I went over to Janet's house this last week and we were just crying with her and loving on her and trying to encourage her in all this. And she told me that story. And she said, you know, I still hear my mom's voice saying, Janet, hold on to God. Hold on. And she said, that's what I'm doing. I'm just holding on. I'm trusting God's word and I'm moving forward one step at a time. And that's what they did. They, they started holding on to God, but you know what they also did? They started to worship. Look at, look at what happens. I just saw this is my favorite part. Look at verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. I mean, here's Israel. They're like singing and all of a sudden chaos is going on down there and they're fighting one another and scrapping and they're wiping each other out. What is happening here? God is on the move. That's what's happening. God is fighting in their battles. That's what's happening. All of a sudden, in their worship, God released power in their worship. God released his strength in their worship. Listen, you gotta understand that there's something more happening here when we worship God than us getting through a couple of songs. When, when we begin to worship God and that mingles with the worship of heaven, God inhabits the praises of his people, that God releases his power and moves by his spirit when we worship God. How in the world could we stand there with arms crossed and mouths closed when God wants to move in power in the praise of his people? Listen, God, it requires all of us to stand before him. And listen, you may be in the battle, man. You're in the battle. You're in the tag. But listen, that is the place to stand on God's promises and sing. To sing his praises. Was it not Paul and Silas in that jail that they sang and the power of God moved? Listen, the same way God will move in power when you open your mouth and release your praise to God. God is ready. Your worship is a weapon against the enemy. And by the way, Satan hates it when you sing, man. He's like, man, I want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. The devil hates it when you sing because he knows God's people is on the advance. God's people are on the move when we worship him. That's how winning is done. Listen, isn't it time that you seek the Lord? Isn't it time you ask God to give you a promise you can stand on for your home, for your health, for your marriage, for, your, for whatever is struggling? Isn't it time that you begin to lift up your voice and sing, even in the midst of the battle, because you know that he's fighting it for you? Now's the time to do that.